Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly, including all the latest on the Matildas after yet another amazing win against Denmark, plus a brief update on the Socceroos around the world. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. But first up, we talked with Tracy Holmes from the ABC several times in the lead up to the World Cup about the slow burn the tournament was experiencing outside of the football bubble. And we asked the question, when would the lid come off? Well, when the Prime Minister starts speculating about public holidays, should Australia go all the way, and the stratospheric TV ratings growing as each game passes, we think it's safe to say that we're well and truly in that territory, and the Matillas is now safely in the quarterfinals against France this coming Saturday. So to talk us through, it is one of the true believers of football in this country, someone who has charted the highs and lows of the men's and women's game, our mate from the Sydney Morning Herald, Vince Regari, will join us. Then on the flip side of the joy Australia is experiencing comes the other story of countries who have not performed as well as they expected and who are on the plane home. There is no greater example of one of those nations than the former all-conquering US national women's side who finally found their mojo, but just a little bit too late and went out to Sweden in what will go down as one of the most chaotic penalty shootouts at the Melbourne Rectangular Graveyard, which also, obviously, as we know, hosted the departure of top 10 nations, Canada and Brazil. We'll try to put some perspective into the story of the US exit with a man who is also about to head out of the country a little earlier than he planned, Jonathan Tannemold from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Now, Edge, um, the, 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 the ride rolls on. Uh, really, the the story that's been written around this, uh, Sam Kerr missing, we almost go out at the group stage, backs to the wall against Canada, uh, facing off against one of the greats, Penilla Harder at Denmark. I mean, this is, this is Hollywood stuff, mate. Well, someone of my generational investment in this world game, um, 30 years, uh, have done everything in the game. I often would think, I wonder what it would be like when Australia reaches its potential, when it fulfills its potential. And I'm starting to get a bit of a taste of it, Rob. The Matildas are on a roll. Uh, they're breaking television records, uh, packed stadiums, packed live sites. Um, everybody is just uh, loving the role they're on. Uh, there's so much uh, joy and positiveness about uh, what they're doing at the moment. And they've got a massive test against France in Brisbane on Saturday. But, I mean, why not? Yeah, exactly. And, Derek, as um, a uh, an immigrant to this country from a nation where football is within your DNA and have to get used to the idea that it's not on the front page of the newspapers, uh, it's not in the TV every night, that you're now seeing the game take centre stage and blow everything else away, particularly with the TV ratings. Uh, how are you feeling about this uh, this right now, mate? Well, it's certainly uh, taking hold, not just in Australia, but definitely back home in the United Kingdom, the press of which I still, as you can imagine, follow pretty closely. And any, anywhere I go, it is um, lionesses fever, uh, my usual diet of podcasts is all very lionesses dominated too. The Community Shield was very much a footnote. The return of the EFL um, hardly rated a mention in, in some quarters. So 
obviously, yes, here in Australia, Matilda's fever has, has exploded. Um, and yes, we are watching their games in, in our household uh, too. Um, but it, I feel like just the state of the game globally has just never been in a better place. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it really is quite incredible. Well, let's get stuck into the news. Willem has prepared for us in his absence this week, and as we led with off the top of the show, the lead story is the Matildas will meet France in a quarterfinal in Brisbane on Saturday after both sides progress through the round of 16 with a minimum of fuss. Goals to Caitlin Ford and Hayley Rasso. Either side of the half saw Australia pass Denmark 2-0 on Monday with Mary Fowler instrumental in both. And while Sam Kerr's introduction on 80 minutes provided great optimism for the remainder of the tournament, it wasn't necessary at the time. And will number five France took just 23 minutes to score three times and effectively send Morocco home in what ultimately was, uh, given the early uh, scoreline, a respectable 4-0 result. So, Edge, um, we we saw the friendly at Marvel Stadium. The, the French, for me, I, I went to that game, looked uh, uh, very impressive early. Uh, clearly, Morocco... Um, had a, a bit of stage fright going into this game. They 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 could have done better had uh, they been able to hold their nerve for the early stages of this match. Are you confident, just as a football analyst, with what you've seen of uh, the evolution of Gustafsson, not just in, in his entire tenure, but in this tournament, uh, the way he's restructured the team, that we, the fact that we're seeing the Mary Fowler that you've talked about for so long emerge um, in front of our very eyes, and that the defensive structure, which had been so porous in the past, is going to stand up to the white heat of a quarterfinal against France? Well, I thought the first 30 minutes against Denmark, uh, they were well on top. They were um, playing through Route 1 right down the middle of the park using uh, diagonal balls to get uh, fast strikers in behind the, the play. And we looked we looked a bit fragile, but we stood up. We got a clean sheet. We're able to turn the momentum in that game with... Uh, a sensational bit of play by Mary Fowler, that through ball to Caitlin Ford, who scored. I think the big question for me about um, the match against France on Saturday is really about Australia. It's not so much about France. I think if Sam Kerr, um, if he, if Tony Gustafsson wants to start her, what does he do? Who does he drop? It's got to be one of Mary Fowler or Emily Van Egmond, who's been a very good link play. So I'm just really intrigued to think if... He wants to go with his uh, star striker, which a lot of people will anticipate he will. Who does he drop? Because that's a it, it could unsettle the balance in that team. Uh, and defensively, you know, we've been riding our luck a little bit um, um, in this tournament defensively. We saw some fragile uh, mistakes against Nigeria. We're back at the scene of the crime for, for that. But look, you know, there's so much momentum behind the Australians. I think they take a lot out of the friendly win against France. France have improved. They're getting better. Um, they are looking pretty mean, but they did score, I thought, three soft goals against uh, Morocco. So I, I don't think we can really... It wasn't the 4-0 win that we had against Canada, put it that way. No, no, absolutely it wasn't. It, um, it was the sort of thing that, um, that you know, was turn-off material in other uh, environments if it hadn't been a World Cup. So, look, uh, we're going to talk to Vince Regari uh, soon about all this. I'm going to put him under the spotlight in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. We don't have Vince for a lot of time because he's on the 
sidelines at, uh, at Suncorp Stadium up there in Brisbane. So we'll ask Vince a lot of these questions and flesh it out just a little bit more. Now, we talked about the United States. We're going to talk to Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer soon, but they're out of the World Cup uh, by the finest of margins. Uh, a nil-all draw against Sweden, penalties in Melbourne, Megan Rapinoe and Sophie Smith both missed their spot kicks, although looked to have been spared when Alyssa Nea denied Norway's Lena Hurtig, Norway's uh, Lena Hurtig, Sweden's Lena Hurtig, um, a VAR review found the ball had crossed the line by the most fractional of margins. The result brings down the curtain on the career of Rapinoe, who described her miss as some dark kind of humour. And you know, it was quite bizarre to, to watch her on the screens afterwards laughing, Derek, but you were at the stadium there as well. But for me, it seemed like the, the, the crowd was behind Sweden. And uh, we even heard a few boos for Rapinoe as, um, as she exited the stage for the last time, which was a bit sad. Yeah, booze when she came on as well. Um, she's all, almost like a sideshow onto herself. You could see her training on the side, uh, blue hair, even at our distance, very obvious. She was shouting at her teammates. She was pumping her fist when she got she got a corner. And then when she sprinted down the top the touchline to get ready to come on, you know, it was almost like a movie, you know, and, and, mm. and you know, her coming on a, to uh, to save the day. And, um yeah, I think you're right. It did feel like, um, as all good Aussies do, got behind the the underdog here. And uh, I think just because a lot of people were wearing their yellow Australian shirts, it did appear that there were slightly more Swedes in the ground than than there probably were. But yes, I've now watched um, uh, 210 minutes of World Cup football. I haven't seen the goal uh, yet so far. Um, but this game, unlike the first game we went to, was gripping um, mm. America, despite all of their shortcomings that we'll talk to Jonathan about, um, had this game in their control. They they had the best chances. Wide players in particular looked dangerous. They just didn't have the uh, the final touch. Morgan or Rapinoe came on, weren't able to weren't able to do the business. And it was a smash and grab from the Swedes. And quite often when you get into a penalty shootout that's maybe not quite deserved, you end up winning it. You see it with uh, England in their match against Nigeria. You felt confident they would do the business. And then even Arsenal in the Community Shield kind of got that grubby goal at the end and then were perfect in penalties. So, How did you um, get Arsenal and a Community Shield at that um, mentioned in the middle of a, of a World Cup analogy, Derek? Um, well, I just it was a good comparison. I just feel like yeah. the underdog and penalty shootout. Yeah, of you course. Know, we've seen that, seen that happen comparison. now over the last week. Yeah, good yeah. on you. Okay, um, now um, another one of the massive stories of the past week, Lauren James. She's apologised for her David Beckham moment, 1998. We're all old enough to remember that. I think about every football fan in the world was pinging messages on WhatsApp and Twitter to, to make that analogy immediately. Uh, she was set off in that round of 16 match against Nigeria and uh, could cost her the rest of the tournament. As we record, FIFA still haven't handed down their disciplinary committee decision. We know she's not going to be there this weekend, that's for sure. Um she uh, stomped on Michelle Alozzi uh, as she was prone on the turf. Uh, it will be fascinating to see how this plays out because, uh, you know, we're two games, if Australia get through France, plays into our hands. Um, now, she's written an apology to Alozzi. All my love and respect to you. I'm sorry for what happened. Um, Serena Wiegmann backed her girl and, uh, and said she lost her emotions, which is she couldn't do anything else. Um, she would have just been sweating in the dressing room's edge, uh, just praying to whatever uh, deity that she prays to that 
the rest of the team could get it done. But it was just fascinating that night. Um, I think I was one of many people who thought that the moment it went to 11 v 10, that the Nigerians seemed to, to lose their composure and lose their structure. I felt at the end of the game that Nigeria were a better chance with, with um, James on the park, let alone. With, they just didn't seem to manage uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the opponents um, losing a player. I don't know what Lauren James was thinking when she did that, but I can probably assume and guess, and that was that her opponent, Michelle Losey, was giving her a bath. I mean, it was all about Lauren James leading up into uh, this match. She, her performance against China was so outstanding that she was going to be the player that England could ride on the coattails all the way through this tournament. And then they blanketed her. Nigeria were unbelievable in the first half. They were incredible in the first half. Mm-hmm. And a lot goes down to uh, Alozi's uh, performance in blanketing James. She didn't. She she basically won every one-on-one contest. Um, she defended so well against uh, against James. So obviously she was frustrated. I can only assume that it was a bad look. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a nasty thing because. She could have done it a lot more nasty. She tried to disguise it, but yeah, it um, in these days with uh, technology the way it is, there's no disguising that. And um, yeah, look, I, I thought it was an enthralling contest. I, I I couldn't look away from this match. Nigeria, they really had England on the ropes at different stages in that game, and they hit the bar uh, at least twice. Um, very significant opportunities to score, and then um, I think Derek's uh, little comment previously. Once it got into the penalty shootout, you knew, you just knew that uh, England weren't going to get through. Yeah, no, it felt like that, didn't it? Um, and those two first uh, penalties, but the second one in particular, were uh, were a case study in, um, in in nerves. Okay, to the A League, uh, Perth Glory have appointed Alan Stajic as their new manager. The former Matildas boss, recently, as we all know, led the Philippines women's side to World Cup qualification and their first win of the tournament against New Zealand. Prior to that, he laid the foundations of the Central Coast Mariners' recent A League championship between 2019 and 2021. Stajic with my brother. Tim on Sky News on the weekend actually said, I vividly recall the late 90s and early 2000s when Perth Glory revolutionised the National League with its connection to the city, its level of support and a team that was leading the way on the pitch. I believe an incredible opportunity now establishes exists to re-establish Glory as one of the giants of Australian football. Uh, tough gig without an owner. Um, that uh, We've seen the ads uh, in, in the paper for the sale. Um and uh, and and but Stajic, uh, Edge, uh, I know you know you've had strong um, opinions of the man, uh, pros and cons over the years. But at the core of his being, he's a football coach, and he's had a lot of success as a, as a coach, as a manager. Are you expecting him to be able to pull this ship together and bring back the glory of the glory um, under his tenure? Well, he did a great job at Central Coast Mariners in probably similar circumstances, didn't he? When no one anticipated he would be so successful with a, a squad that didn't have a lot of quality. We know that Perth Glory, Tony Sage, well, he's um, he's exited the building in uh, pretty ordinary circumstances. He's left uh, a pretty shabby organisation behind. So Stagix is going to have the challenge he'll have is that uh, while they're under the administration of the APL, they won't have any money to buy players. So he's going to mm-hmm. have to rely on young talent, what he can uh, attract to the club. I think he will attract young players to the club because he has a great track record at developing those. It's a bit of a situation tailor-made for him, but he, he, he he's just going to lack some quality. We've seen a, mm-hmm. a lot of players leave, contracts being cancelled by the APL and 
and players leaving for uh, other destinations out of Perth, the quality. So, yeah, look, look it's not going to be easy, but it's a situation Taylor made for Alan Stajic and, you know, he'll probably do really well. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, he's. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's just great to see the Matildas uh, onward and upward, and the stories of uh, of his uh, departure are now in the the, the dustbin of history. Um, hopefully, um, he can have some success in the same way that the, the Matildas have uh, or are having right now. Okay, soccer is central for the Green and Gold Army. Loads of Aussies in action as European seasons kicked off in Scotland, England, and Germany, and many will have ambitions to be on the plane to Qatar Edge for January's Asian Cup. If you want to join them, head to GGA Travel com.au i'll get all the information there yes get all the information there and uh and don't forget also the socceroos are playing england at Wimbledon in october and we'll have a sneaky little uh, program for that one launching this week okay so get to ggatravel.com.au if you're not already on the mailing list and get yourself on it so efl cup news both riley mcgree and sam silvera were on the score sheet for middlesbrough in their win over huddersfield earlier in the week silvera just a couple of months on from scoring for the mariners in the a-league grand final made his championship debut on the opening day of the club now great to see Muslawongo back in the championship he and callum elder played four matches for ipswich town on their return to the division which was celebrated with a 2-1 away win over Sunderland at the Stadium of Light. That's a massive result. Cassini Yengi scored a late equaliser on debut for Portsmouth off the bench in a one-all draw with Bristol in League One. Yengi will be joined at the club by Alexander Robertson, who signed a loan deal with Pompey from Manchester City. Yengi also found the net in their EFL Cup win over Forest Green. And Garon Kowal has also found another loan move, joining top flight Dutch club FC Volendam. In Scotland, there was a hearts to boot for Callum Neuenhoff in their 2-0 win over Ryan McGowan and St Johnston, while Martin Boyle is back for Hibbs, starting and playing 63 minutes into an opening day loss. Big news for Boyle, who missed out on the Asian Cup in 2019 and the World Cup 2022 through injury. It would be great to see him back for that Asian Cup in January. Now, uh, not a lot of Premier League news. It's usually wall-to-wall uh, Premier League, but uh, if there is one little story, we at least get to mention once and that is good luck to Ange Postacoglu uh, his Premier League debut this Sunday their final two pre-season match a 5-1 win over Shakhtar Donetsk and a 4-2 loss to Barcelona but all will be forgotten if they can earn the three points away at the Brentford Community Stadium on Sunday we wish Ange all the best I know you two gunners uh, uh, it goes against the grain but, jeez, um, if the Matildas have sent football into a new trajectory uh, in this country, if Ange has some success at, uh, at Spurs, fair income, I, I don't know how far it can go. It was, there's actually the um, Coaching Box Cam YouTube channel. So those uh, long-suffering Australian football fans who were pining for their Ange Postacoglu, you can actually uh, click on YouTube, and I think it uploaded about a, a couple of hours after the game. You can actually just watch <laughs> him for the entire game. All right, Edge, off uh, to the bench for you two. I'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one with Vince after the break, uh, talking about all things Matildas uh, from his uh, his position uh, at Suncorp Stadium, and then you two are going to return to have a yarn with Jonathan Tannenbaum from the Philadelphia Inquirer. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box and uh, what a special edition of the show it is right now. We've done nearly 400 episodes and uh, we've covered World Cups in the past. But you know what? I don't think we've covered 
a World Cup as special as this one. Yes, and I do acknowledge the great feats of the, the Socceroos in Qatar most recently, but uh, what we are seeing now, and we flagged this last week with Joey Lynch uh, from ESPN, is uh, is a changing of the uh, the reception of the game and and the Matildas in this country. And a man who's covered the ups and the downs of the men's and the women's game in this country for many, many years is our good mate from the Sydney Morning Herald, Vince Rigari. And he's up there in Brisbane right now. How are you, Vince? Yeah, very well, guys. Um, enjoying the ride so far. It's been been a roller coaster, that's for sure. But um, you know, this is the fun bit, which is great. So, Vince, um, talk to us about uh, your own personal experience of what you've seen so far, and uh, and and the level of the the general public uh, reception of the the Matildas. Uh, how, how are you interpreting it from not just uh, the the immediacy of the results, but um, but you know what we you know have you know something that we've all been waiting for for so long, and and, and what what this turned into in the future? Yeah, it's gone beyond my expectations to be honest, in terms of just how much everyone's into it, getting around it. Um, it is really special. I mean, I. I tried not to think too much about what a home World Cup would be like beforehand and then the first two games, I thought they played within themselves and everyone was a bit nervy and all that. But the last couple and the public appetite sort of coming off the back of that has been out of control. Like everything we're writing, um, people are, are reading it in huge numbers. It really does feel like something that's just taken the intention of the entire country uh, to an unprecedented level. Um to be honest, and I just hope it continues because it's so much fun at the moment knowing that whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you run into is probably thinking or talking about the Matildas. It's just it's everywhere. It's sort of everything we've all dreamed of in football in Australia and it's, and it's happening. We've got to smell the roses while, we were, while we've got a situation like this. Yeah, it's incredible, mate. And last week we were talking uh, about how Tony Gustafsson was, well, he was a man on veritable death row, wasn't he, uh, going into that match at Amy Park. Uh, he's gone from from one extreme to the other, hasn't he? He's gone uh, uh, from the guy that was just about to be uh, marched off the plank and, and sent out of the country to, uh, to you know, uh, uh, he's on the... the the, the border of being not only the equal of a, of a guy, say, like Gus Heating, but, uh, but one of the, the great Australian managers, not just of football, but sport in general. Yeah, crazy. Like, imagine how he felt over the last couple of weeks. Um, my, my info was he was actually going to be, if not sacked, that the expectation was that if they'd lost that game against Canada, that um, that he would resign, or if not, if not that, then soon after that he'd be shown the door. And to go from that to the way they've played the last couple of games, he, he deserves a massive amount of credit. Um, he got a few things wrong against Nigeria, but since then he's got pretty much everything right, and you can just see everything they've done to now has prepared the team perfectly. Um, they've answered all the questions of them tactically in these last couple of games. They're in such a good spot, and. Um, Hands up to Tony, like you know, he's, he's done a fantastic job. It's not over yet, hopefully. But um, it's amazing how fickle this industry can be. Results-driven business. You go from potentially getting the sack to, I don't know, it probably deserves a contract extension pretty soon if they keep going like this. And he held his nerve, and he didn't change the um, the, the lineup, even though at that point, um, going into the Denmark game, he knew that uh, that Sam Kerr uh, was going to be able to play some minutes. 
uh, it worked out well. Uh, the defence was able to hold off uh, Penella Hardo. Um, Katrina Gallery was all over her like the proverbial cheap suit and uh, um, and the, the uh, attacking structure um, did exactly uh, what uh, we'd seen it do, not uh, to the same extent of four goals against Canada, but, uh, but two goals was plenty. And uh, we got to the point where by the time Sam Kerr came on, uh, she she wasn't really needed to, to get the results. So uh, if anything, this um, scenario that played out uh, at Homebush was uh, was one that just built the confidence of the crowd, as we saw in uh, in in that uh, uh, that wonderful tweet from from the team bus. Yeah, absolutely. And again, Tony deserves credit for changing things in game on the run, which is the art of coaching, really. And Maybe Steph Catley to thank for that because the first 20 minutes, Denmark were all over us, I thought, and Harder was getting on the ball in dangerous areas. Um, but Catley goes down with a little niggle. She gets treatment. Tony brings everyone into the circle. This is out a few tactical instructions, a couple of minor tweaks. And after that point, um, Matilda's like a different side. And from then on, they, they obviously went on with it. That, that pass from Mary Fowler, I'm still getting over it, to be honest, but I'm starting to, you know, Throw my appreciation for the second pass that she made, the second goal, the the one where um, everyone looked, it looked like she was going to take a shot. She twisted and turned, and everyone was thinking, "Is she going to pull the tricky here?" But she releases that absolutely deft chip uh, into Emily Van Egmond, which is a pass that I'm not sure many players from Australia. It's not the sort of not the sort of pass we see Australian players make. It was very, very clever, very intelligent. Saw something there that you know a lot of other players wouldn't have seen. And that was really the, the path that set up the goal. Emily had get the assist, but the secondary assist there from Mary, fantastic. And yeah, as I say, the ability for the team to pivot when everything's sort of going wrong, amazing. So um, I guess at this point now, Vince, we're, we're, we're looking at a scenario where, where Gustafsson does seriously need to consider that if Kerr is fit enough to play, that um, that she starts. I mean, uh, admittedly, the Moroccans uh, appeared to suffer from some stage fright in that first half and had those three, three quick goals. Uh, it almost felt like the mercy rule was coming in and the French uh, um, didn't want to uh, punish them too badly. But to be fair, the Moroccans did uh, uh, hold the line after that point and, um, and, and didn't bleed too heavily. Um, uh, the um, the French side that we saw at uh, Marvel Stadium though was was a different proposition altogether as was the Australian side so so um, is, is it fair to say that um, unfortunately uh, uh, despite the the great job that she's done um, that um, given the the incisive and the unique nature that Mary Fowler uh, brings to the table is is still only a twenty year old and most experts are saying she could be our best yet that Emily Van Egmond might be uh, might be uh, uh, the one to to uh, give way for for Sam's uh, introduction if it happens. I would imagine so, but the question for me is, can Sam Kerr play one hundred and twenty minutes of football because that's what it might take in this game against France. And if the answer to that is no, then I think Kerr comes off the bench and you don't... It's not about so much messing with the starting lineup, and you shouldn't... They've been fantastic, obviously, in that lineup, that system right now is working, but it's about how do you get the maximum out of Sam Kerr when the team needs the maximum out of her, and it's, you know, you've got to waken things up there. Is it, is it good to have her from the start play 60, 70 minutes, 75 minutes, if that's all she's capable of, and then bring her off if it goes to extra time? Because she can't play anymore or do you just wait and see how things go and then if things you know if you need a little bit of extra impetus early in the second half put her on and maybe she can play 
60 minutes, including extra time, if that's what it comes to. It's a difficult decision, but I think unless you're confident Sam can play 120 minutes, I think she comes off the bench. And that's a, that's a cheap, like a really good thing to have up the team's sleeve to know that if things aren't going right, you can throw on one of the best players in the world, um, which is amazing. Obviously, you'd want to have her for as long as possible. I'd really doubt she can play 120 minutes at the moment, just given where she's coming from. Um, so I'm leaning towards her coming off the bench, but I'd love for her to start and go all the way through. All right, Vince. So the, uh, the question that we've all been waiting for, um, you know, can, and I use this term from ancient Roman history, I'm a bit of an amateur student of Julius Caesar. Uh, um, when he crossed the Rubicon, everything changed. And uh, uh, I, I used this uh, in, in our show last week, and I, I use the same analogy. Are we about to go into new territory for the Matildas? Are you expecting them uh, to to beat France, uh, to 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 show that defensive steel that we've seen them of them at their best, uh, uh, which is the flip side of that leaky defence that we talked to for so long. Um, are we going to see the best of the Matildas and, and set up a date with uh, what's likely to be England, but could be Colombia if uh, another massive upset occurs? My answer might disappoint you because I just don't know. Um, I don't think the occasion is going to get the better of them because the last two have been massive and they've been equal to it. So I don't think it's a case of that. I think it's just a case of a match of football and the moments within it defining what sort of happens, which is obvious and you know very straightforward. But I just think that's where we're at. I, I can definitely. I said before the World Cup, I could see them winning it. I thought that after the England friendly, I thought that again after the France friendly, um, and I can see it happening this week. They've got all the tools. Um, they've got all the pieces. Jill Ellis told me a few days ago for a story I did for the Sun Herald. It's all there. But we're just in that part of the tournament now, and it's such an even tournament. You can really see any of the, the eight remaining teams actually having the capabilities to go on with it. Um, they're all contenders, to be honest. There's no absolute standouts, maybe aside from Japan. And it just comes down to the day. And really, as Australian football fans, that's all we can ask for is from the Tilders to be in a position where it's possible. And it's very, very possible. And obviously, I hope... Um, I really, really hope they can get it done. Exactly, mate. And the rest of Australia does. And Anthony Albanese hopes too, if he's just putting a little bit of pressure on them by suggesting we get a, a public holiday, mate. Uh, uh, if they can handle that pressure, mate, they can handle any pressure. <laughs> it's, uh, mate, you enjoy it up there. Um, hopefully this uh, this crazy ride continues. Um, all the front pages of the the, the, the the physical newspapers of your publication and, and others around the country, the digital versions, uh, the social media, it's it's all green and gold and it's all uh, due to um, this incredible uh, journey that the Matildas are taking us on, mate. So enjoy the game and uh, hopefully uh, we, uh, we get to talk to you one more time uh, before this is all over. Hopefully, guys. You guys enjoy it as well, yeah? This is... Um special stuff for Australian football and like I say we need to smell the roses while um, while they're blooming so yeah how good good on you Vince Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald okay then after the break uh, I mentioned off the top the flip side of all the joy we're experiencing is that uh, that other countries uh, particularly those in the top 10 are, uh, are experiencing the exact opposite uh, the uh, the one that's firmly in the bullseye of that conversation is, of course, the US national women's side and a man who's about to fly out a little bit earlier than he'd anticipated. We've spoken to him a few times over the years. Is next up, Jonathan Tannewal from the Philadelphia Inquiry, next on Box to Box. 
Well, 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 everybody's gonna buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's gonna save a dollar or two. Everybody's gonna buy Hoyt Spices, yeah. Well, 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 everyone's gonna buy Hoyt Spices. Everyone's gonna save a dollar or two. Did I do a good job there, Edge? You did a fantastic job there, Rob, you know, uh, but I know that you know the jingle right through the whole chorus and uh, intro. You're very good at it, Rob. Well, I sat with our good friend Johnny Accardo the other day, and he was uh, delighted with the the, uh, the fun we were having with the live reads uh, when we, we do them in the show, and we couldn't do this show without him and uh, and the support of, of our great mates at Hoyts, and uh, they're an Italian family, um, so welcoming, so warm, and uh, um, and enthusiastic about everything they do. We all know about uh, Johnny's niece, Isabella Accardo, who's uh, signed up with Melbourne City. Maybe she'll be a Matilda one day. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But speaking of Italy, Edge, you know, uh, my wife Sandra's been uh, over in the mother country for the last month and uh, enjoying the local cuisine. Yeah, I was just wondering how many extra kilos she'll come back with, Rob. I thought you can ask how many extra kilos I'll come back with because of all the takeaway I've been eating. But look, what I am going to make for her is she said she couldn't find a restaurant that made the classic minestrone that her mum uh, made when she was a little girl. So I'm going to make a big pot of it this weekend. And when I pick her up from the airport on Tuesday morning, I'm going to have it set out there for her. And uh, it's going to have a lot of fresh vegetables, lots of beans. It's going to have... Uh, uh, a lovely stock that I'm going to make, but it wouldn't taste the same if it didn't have the uh, the bay leaves from Hoyts or the dried oregano from Hoyts. They're the, the little elements, aren't they, mate, that change the mood of your food? They do change the mood of your food, and uh, I know that you, I know that your lovely wife, Sandra, would have taught you that recipe very well, Rob. And I'm going to be under enormous pressure to correctly make it just so when she enjoys it when she gets home so if you are listening out there and you love your food there will always be a herb or a spice that you can get from Hoyts from Coles Safeway Coles Safeway I'm going back a bit Coles or Woolworths good independent supermarkets that make it taste that a little bit better fill those empties with Hoyts and spices yeah box to box can you believe it for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. And while all of Australia revels in the delights of the momentum that's building behind our women's national team, the Matildas, the airport's been busy with American players flying home to the United States. And we're welcomed by... Well, we're about to welcome Jonathan Tannerwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer, a great friend of Box the Box. He's staying right through to the final, but Jonathan, we had to have you on. We've got to talk about the biggest news story at the FIFA World Cup, Australia, New Zealand, and that is the Yanks. They're out of the tournament. What's going on, brother? Well, I guess, am I supposed to say congratulations? I don't know. I think you can say congratulations for the Matildas uh, equaling their best ever performance in a World Cup, but um, this is not good news for American women's national team fans, is it? It's been um, it's been a rocky road. Uh, why don't you tell us what you're feeling uh, about what's happened in New Zealand and, and in Melbourne? Look, the way the U.S. has played in this World Cup was not good. It was not good enough, and it was not good flat out. And a lot of flaws and a lot of things were exposed by how they played, how they went out. In a way, it's a good thing because it is going to force the U.S. national team program to take a really deep look at itself and do some badly needed house cleaning and hopefully some badly needed big time changes and improvements to how we do things in women's soccer in America. 
And if that happens, I wrote this a couple days ago, if that happens, this program isn't going anywhere. Jonathan, I guess the, the big one for me is just about, I want to get your thoughts on Vladko Andonovsky. He seems to be an inconvenient coach. He, I don't think he's ever been truly embraced by um, the, the, the women's football community in the United States, the elite one anyway. Uh, he had such big shoes to, to, to fill, um, the, the expectations of the world champions. I think there were signs at the Olympic Games that things weren't going well for him. And it's it's unfolded that way. Hindsight's a beautiful gift, isn't it? But uh, tell us about your feelings about Vladko Andonovsky, and surely he's not going to survive beyond a week or two. He's absolutely not going to survive. And his boss, general manager Kate Markraft, might not survive either because there's a new sporting director at the U.S. Federation, and he's, as I said, got an opportunity to clean the house here and put his stamp on things. I disagree with a little bit of your premise because – when he was hired, he was clearly the best choice for the job, and a lot of people believe that, including a lot of the players who had played for him in the NWSL. It didn't work. I was initially inclined to write off the Olympics as a little bit of a fluke because the atmosphere there, because it was COVID and everything else, and the way it was being handled was so bad. And it was so rigid, stiff, stale. I don't know what the word you want to use is, but it had a clear mental toll on everybody the way things had to be done during the COVID Olympics in Tokyo. Vlatko Andonovsky was hired to make a generational overhaul of this program, to bring in a bunch of young players and, you know, move on from some of the old ones. And he mostly achieved it, but he actually didn't fully achieve it. And I think one of the reasons why he didn't fully achieve it is because the Olympics got delayed a year. Some of the veterans stuck around for an extra year because of that. And that deprived him of time to fully blend in a new era of players. I think he might be the best tactical mind that the U.S. women's national team has ever had as a head coach. But being a great tactical mind and being able to execute it on the big stage are two different things. He lost the courage of his convictions in one of the most important moments of the World Cup, which was right after Lindsey Horan scored the tying goal for the U.S. against the Netherlands in that second group stage game. The Netherlands was running backwards. They were scared. They subbed out a forward for a defensive midfielder in a 1-1 tie. Who does that, guys? Come on. The U.S. had the chance to step on him right then and there, and they didn't do it. And in 20 years of watching this team, I've rarely ever seen that on a big stage. And that ended up cascading all the way down through the rest of the thing. Not only did they not beat Portugal, if they'd beaten the Netherlands, the Dutch could have scored 10 on Vietnam, and it wouldn't have mattered. The U.S. would have won the group with a tie and then played South Africa instead of Sweden, which is their bogey team, the team that always gives them headaches in, in major tournaments. They've only beaten them once in a major tournament in the last 16, 17 years, I think. And they play each other all the time. So nobody was surprised that Sweden got them. Sweden spent all the day before saying, oh, there's no mentality, mental games. They were lying through their teeth. I'm sorry. They knew. Everybody knew. And it played out exactly that way. And at least it's to the credit of the Swedish players, you guys probably saw, I talked to Kostovar Aslani and Magda Eriksson after the game. I asked them, you know, everybody's going to go dance on the U.S.'s grave now. What do you guys think? And they said, absolutely not. Kostovar Aslani used a word that I can't repeat on your radio show. People have probably seen it already because it's made the round, so they know what it is. If the U.S. is able to obviously change coach, um, you know, they've got to get this higher right. If they get these things right now, you look at the talent that they have and the talent they're going to have next year at the Olympics with Katarina Macario back, hopefully Sam Coffey and Tiernan Davidson and some other new 
new younger players in the mix, they could easily win the Olympics next year with the talent they have. And if they do that, everybody's going to say maybe it's not the end of the world after all. Yeah, Sweden definitely came to the game with a, with a game plan, Jonathan. And, you know, they, they sat in and they, they toughed it out. They didn't, they didn't show um, a lot of attacking intent, really. It was really the Swedish goalkeeper who was the player, player of the match. The US had a lot of the ball. They did have a lot of success in the channels. Rodman in the, in the first half. And Williams had a lot of success in the second half is, is part of the issue on the pitch that for all the dominance that the US had just with the ball defensively, it was the final ball and just the lack of cutting edge, which has cost them in the tournament. I've said this all along. I will never bet against Alex Morgan. And I lost the bet this time in this World Cup because she didn't score. I think that the quality of service that she had and where the ball was moving and where the ball was not moving, it just wasn't right. And even though... You know, the, the, the stats say that the U.S. underperformed their XG by miles and miles. It was the worst in the tournament. I believe that. But it just didn't quite feel right. And you knew, whether in the Sweden game or the Portugal game, they just get one. It breaks the wall open and, the you know, they go on. And if they win that Sweden game, look, Japan would have been a terrific contest for them. But I think that the rest of the world would have said, uh-oh, they're back. And it would have gotten in people's heads. That's why I say if they get it right with the Olympics, if they get it right with the next manager, um, the talent's there. To, and, and there's young – I'll give you guys a name to remember who you might not have heard yet. Her name is Jaden Shaw. She's a teenager who plays for the San Diego Wave in the NWSL. She's going to be on this team in September, I think, you know, the first FIFA window after the World Cup. She can tear this thing up, man. She's really, really good. And she plays for Alex Morgan. She plays with Alex Morgan. And Naomi Girma and Sophia Jakobsen in San Diego. Casey Stoney is the manager. Jill Ellis is the president. They know what they're doing. And look, I mean, I'll, I'll say this too about Vlatko Anonofsky in a similar regard. I won't be surprised at all if he gets a job in the NWSL or, or another club soon. He goes back to the NWSL. He could easily win, you know, two championships in the next five years or something like that. He's that good. Probably a classic guy who's a better club coach than a national team coach, you know? That happens all the time. And if he does that, we're all going to give him a standing ovation over here. He's a classy guy. He's an honest guy. He's a selfless guy. He's a smart guy. It just didn't work this time around, and he knows it. One of the subplots, many subplots uh, in the game during the week was um, Megan Rapinoe. Uh, she, uh, she was very clearly on the sidelines taking the team on, and when she got the opportunity to come on the pitch, she sprinted down there very heroically and you could feel this sense of um, this sense of anticipation of her coming on the field. Um, her performance when she did come on was probably slightly chaotic. Um, a lot's been made of pass completion. It was quite a frenetic performance. How did you feel when she stepped up to the penalty? Was there a sense of inevitability in that she's been there before and she's gonna? put this away or were you concerned that there's just so much so much of a narrative around this one particular player and that the microscope is there that the potential for what happened ended up happening in the end Jonathan we all thought she was going to make it she's made those you know better than she's got look I don't want to get too far outside the sports realm but we all know that it's connected to this it has been for some years what has she not done in life? What has she not proven to anybody? Yeah, it stunk 
karmically as a way for her world for her national team career to end. Of course it did. But what's she got to prove? Nothing. Jonathan, um, you know Tony Gustafsson better than a lot of Australians. You've followed him in the US uh, women's national team set up for a long time. What have you made of um, Gustafsson's approach in Australia? Uh, he was under a bit of pressure after the Nigeria game. And what do you think um, about how he's carried himself and what can what little insights can you give uh, Australian Matildas fans about um, what he might be thinking about at the moment? So I don't actually know him all that well because I didn't interact with him when he was an assistant under Jill Ellis all that much. Some other people I know did, but most of us really didn't. I'll say this about national team coaching in general, and I think it applies to Gustafsson and to Andonovsky and to anybody else. It's not a science. It's an art. You don't have the players very long. You can't really develop them the way you would at a club. You've got to pick 11, 18, 23, whatever players. Get them to get along with each other, play good soccer, get the best out of them, and you've got a week to do it, right? So, and the other thing about World Cups is, and this happened with England, it happened with the U.S., it happened with Australia, it happens all the time. It never goes how you think it's going to. You've always got to be ready to turn to somebody else if you, and not, not feel a need to hesitate to turn to somebody else, which is a big part of what sunk Andonovsky is. He just did not, he's got the deepest bench in the world, and he didn't use it nearly enough. I've been very impressed by how Gustafsson managed through those games without Sam Kerr. And he finally realized, look, I've got to do something different that was not what I planned, and I've got to come up with it and try it and hope that it works. And lo and behold, it worked. It certainly did. What about um, your experience in Australia and New Zealand? Have you enjoyed your time here? And what can you tell us about... uh the, the World Cup from your eyes. Uh, we'd, we'd love to know uh, what you think about um, how the World Cup's been going and um, and what the news what the news for you's been like. Here I am sitting in the airport in Melbourne, potentially getting emotional. We men, we American men are too emotional. We can't handle these things, you know. It's been amazing. It's been a, it's been a dream. It's been the the opportunity of a time for me. I'd never been to Australia or New Zealand or Asia at all, anywhere in the Asia-Pacific rim. I never really thought I would because I've lived my whole life on the East Coast of the United States, and foreign travel in that part of the world is generally oriented toward Europe or South America or the Caribbean. You know, it's not oriented towards Asia as much as if you live in California or Seattle or whatnot. It's been a dream, man. Amazing places, wonderful people, great food. I went on Twitter and I said that the food is cheap and everybody in Melbourne said, what are you kidding? The food is cheap. That's right. You've got to be joking. Well, and I think part of that's the exchange rate with the U.S. dollar. That for us, it's very cheap. Correct. Um, but I'm also, I'm a cheap date, man. I, I, I go to the shopping mall and find a Vietnamese or a Chinese stand. Like I was in, when I was in Auckland, I'm just walking around downtown. There's this food court off Queen Street, which is the main street in Auckland. And I go down there and there's this Chinese place that's got roast duck on the wall and dim sum pots and whatever else. It's a Chinese place in a food court. And it's better than 90% of the Chinese places in America. You know? So I'm, I'm easy to please. And it's, I've walked everywhere. I've taken public transit everywhere. Don't have to run it. I would not run a car in this part of the world because I'm not driving on the left to save my life. But, you know, 
it's been wonderful. I know you guys know how good you have it. Yeah, we I know that. You know, in New Zealand, they know how good they have it. And they've tried to keep it that way. And I'll, I'll branch out of soccer for, for one quick moment. I think you guys know there was the, that shooting downtown in Auckland right when, soon when we all got there. And there was, in fact, another incident at a, at a nightclub right as a bunch of us were leaving. It's a very unfortunate truth that in America, especially where I live in Philadelphia, there's so much gun violence that we're just sort of immune to it. It was, I don't want to say refreshing, but it's been weeks now and I still haven't come up with a better word. That there was this shooting in Auckland and it was a huge deal and everybody said, we can't have this. Doesn't happen in America like that. Obviously, I wish it would happen a lot more often because we could do something about it if we wanted to. But on a happier note, great cities, great people. I love waterfronts. If I'm a city with great harbor front ferries and stuff like that, I'm about to go to Sydney. I've never been there. Obviously, it's one of the great cities of the world. I'm thrilled, and I'm going to be there for a week and a half through the final. So hopefully, I'll I'll have some time to see it. I want to go to the SCG. I'm a cricket fan. Take the tour of that. A friend of mine's getting tickets to the Swans game on Sunday. That's what the AFL team is. I think I might go to that and try to figure out how they play it. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Jonathan, it's absolutely delightful to talk to you. We are feeling for you because we know um, how much uh, uh, you love the women's national team. But um, we just want to thank you for sharing those beautiful thoughts with us. Um, good luck for the remainder of your trip. Enjoy Sydney. Um, I think it's going to be some beautiful weather right up and beautiful winter's weather in Sydney right up to the final. And uh, let's hope you're in the press box cheering on the Matildas uh, on the last match. Can, can, can I say one other thing real quick before I go? I have enjoyed watching the Australian fans dunk on the U.S. since they got knocked out. And the reason why, and obviously there was that whole social media snafu that we know about that I don't want to get into. But I watch cricket and I watch rugby. And all my Matilda supporting friends down here tell me, oh, we're humble, polite, plucky underdogs, blah, blah, blah. No, get off. <laughs> Australians are cocky, arrogant. You know what's. I watch the ashes. I know exactly what's going on here. I said to people, you got to tell me, come on, what's worse, a tweet? or stumping a batsman at the other end of the crease from where the ball was going. Oh, definitely stumping the batsman at the other end of the crease. Well, guess what? You know where that's from. Unbelievable. Jonathan, it's been an absolute delight. Thanks you for joining us. Enjoy your time in uh, Australia and uh, the rest of this uh, amazing FIFA Women's World Cup Australia, New Zealand. Uh, we're going to be back after the break with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson, and we're going to talk a little bit more FIFA Women's World Cup corner. Yeah, Chemist Warehouse. I bet you every single Matilda has got something from Chemist Warehouse in her bag. There's INC plant protein, two kilograms for $52.49. Bondi protein, Coast Slimit blend, a kilogram range for $37.99 each. And while you're there, say Vicks Vape Rub, extra strong equipment, 100 grams, just $14.69. Derek, you've got a couple of little kids at home. You'd be uh, rubbing that on their chest, wouldn't you? Definitely at the moment. Got a sick household again this time, Rob. So I've been down at Chemist Warehouse just stocking up everything we can get for those poles. Well done, and if you've got the hay fever, the Telfast Hay Fever Relief 180 milligram 70 tablets for $29.99. Great Chemist Warehouse, great savings are every single day. Chemist Warehouse, why pay more? Box to Box.
Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is World Cup Corner. Um, I enjoyed um, turning the, the mic off there and just sitting back and listening to you guys talk to, to Jonathan Tenenwald. He's a character. We've known him ever since uh, he he started joining us on the show that um, that he's uh, an emotional guy, really loves the game and, uh, and, and, and the women's game in particular, 20 years covering it. So uh, uh, it was great to, to have a listen to him. And I, I suspect that he's right. I mean, the U.S., national women's team. They're not going anywhere. If anyone, uh, who was that famous American politician that said that the reports of my death have been exaggerated, they went out by a sliver, as we all know. They could be playing Japan this weekend and uh, and and uh, and still be in the tournament. So, you know, hey, go figure. They'll be back for, for the next year's Olympics and we'll, we'll watch uh, how uh, the next mark of, of that... Um, Great uh, national side uh, goes. Guys, look, we've got a little bit more time. We're not dropping a stoppage time this week because we are um, doing the program midweek to, to cater for, for all of the tournaments. So um, I want to get started by talking on a subject that, that we've been discussing. Um, I, for anyone who remembers back before the tournament, was concerned with the ratings that we saw for the friendly against France. Um, they weren't stratospheric by any stretch, and I was hoping that they wouldn't be an indicator of the World Cup to come. And far from not being an indicator, they've been the exact opposite uh, right throughout the Ashes and in subsequent. I mean, the, the most recent results for seven, more than 3.5 million people watched the match against Denmark, 3.18 on TV, uh, 385,000 on the 7 Plus streaming service. The audience was the highest for any television show this year, not only knocking off the footy codes, but married at first sight, which Derek, I'll direct this one to you because Edge, I know you've got a, a lot on the subject, but you work in television by your profession. So to knock off married at first sight as a uh, uh, the juggernaut that that is, is really quite incredible. Um, and and the, the, the Everest, the pinnacle of this is Ash Barty's uh, uh, win over the Australian Open, which they haven't peaked yet, but we're expecting them to this weekend. So, uh, so Derek, just from a purely television point of view, um, how do these numbers stack up? Yeah, they're obviously extraordinary. And the, the big wigs over at Seven who acquired the rights for this tournament will be feeling very, very pleased uh, with, with themselves at the moment for, for taking a punt um, on this one. And it wasn't just the, um, the the viewing figures for the terrestrial broadcast, the typical broadcaster. Over 384,000 viewers alone streaming it as well on 7 Plus, which would obviously be a, another great um, another great milestone as well. And also these numbers don't include the Optus numbers either. So these numbers are potentially even bigger, but Optus don't generally report ratings. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't know. Um, we won't, we'll never know really what, what, what that is. Um, obviously the benchmark in all Australian television history is Cathy uh, Friedman. Uh, Eight million people tuned in for that um, particular TV um, and national moment. But they're definitely closing in on the other big one, which was the 2003 World Rugby World Cup final. Four million um, people um, watched uh, watched that one. Um, so yeah, I, I fully expect that record to go this weekend against against France and. You never know. They might they might get up towards Cathy's record. Let's see. 
I think that what stood out to me is that the four Australian games uh, individually, um, each of them beat an NRL grand final audience, uh, which we know is the number one sporting sort of broadcast terrestrial broadcast. Well, state of origin as well, but yeah. yeah so uh, that is pretty, pretty massive. Um, and to do that, you know, to have four events that have beaten that uh, that broadcaster is is really quite significant. So, um, what does it, Derek? What does it mean in money terms for Seven? Um, what's the flow on? Do, do they get an uplift in advertising revenue because of this? Um, these ratings in terms of the the afterglow of the event? Yeah, well, they would have pre-sold all of the top Matildas inventory in advance. And you'll you'll see, if you're sat watching the, the seven broadcast, you'll see that, you know, the last ad break before kickoff, the halftime ad breaks in particular, are stuffed with marquee brands, marquee adverts, particularly the adverts that are uh, integrated with Matildas. I noticed there were about, three or four ads in a row that had Sam Kerr in, I think, during the final um, the final ad break before kickoff. So all of those uh, companies that have gone big are investing in that airspace. And that is, of course, when Seven can, you know, turn up the uh, turn up the turn up the ratings to that. Uh, sorry, the, the rates for advertising to their to their highest possible level and um, where this what this means for Seven Long term is, of course, it get, gives them an opportunity to preview all of their other programming as well. So those three, four million people that are watching are also finding out about all of the other shows that Seven um, have throughout the year. So it's called a tentpole event. It's uh, you know it, it's the tentpole that holds up the ratings throughout the year, and they'll no doubt this will slingshot Seven's ratings uh, after after the event has happened because people are more aware of the programming. So. Yeah, overall, it's a massive win for Seven, and I'm sure by the time these ratings come, these uh, rights come around again, I'm sure that um, all of the broadcasters will be in for them once more. And um, if, if you want an indicator of um, of how it crosses over so many areas, I was listening to Andy Lee on Three AW's Breakfast Show the other day, and he was, you know, Three AW, Two GB, Four BC. 6PR in Perth are all owned by the Nine Entertainment Network, so often cross-promoting their own programs. And uh, Andy was on uh, The Breakfast Show promoting his show, The 100, which was on last night, and he opened up by saying he was just glad that they weren't opening up against the Matildas. So, uh, you know, said in jest, but in um, truth, it was, uh, you know, something that he, uh, he would have felt that they'd lucked out on as well because, you know, other programs can sink without a trace when they go head to head against uh, some of these incredible uh, figures and uh, and the commercial side of these, as we all know, and any of our listeners would, would obviously know, is that the sponsors have, uh, have landed just at the right time. The, uh, the the ones that got on board and sponsored uh, the Matildas have, have got one of the, uh, uh, the most attractive brands, not just in sport, but uh, but for any uh, association in Australia, and um, and they're going to travel this ride, and they'll be uh, uh, the Football Australia big wigs having their um, their doors beaten down. I don't know whether you guys saw the tweet um, uh, with the Tim Tams being handed out to the girls as uh, they were coming off uh, the other night, and aren't it's aren't a sponsor, but uh, but somebody 
either very cleverly uh, teased Arnott's to, to, to get on board by handing Tim Tams to, to the girls as they were walking past and they'd sort of do a double take and come back. So fair dinkum, if Arnott's don't get on board with that opportunity, they are crazy. Now, look, there's one thing I want to get off my chest um, before we go too, too much further. Now, I've mentioned this in passing a couple of times and and I do have a hobby horse um, and it is about inclusivity and disability access to, to games. But if there's one thing that I've got to say that I'm really pissed off with about this tournament, and Ed, you know all of the detail and the extent to which I've gone to, um, where I've tried to get tickets to to some of the games, in particular the, the Matildas Canada game, uh, for a wheelchair seat and a companion seat to take along my son Alexander, who has cerebral palsy now. I went to the, the main site, the resale site, from day one of the ticket sales. Um, I didn't have any luck throughout buying in the first wave. The second wave on multiple occasions, the FIFA site was showing me that I could buy tickets, but the platform wouldn't let me. I then went through the process that FIFA had set up to, uh, to communicate with them and emailed with supporting documentation three separate times. And on no occasion did I get a response. I tried to ring the hotline. It was just a rabbit hole of options and you could never speak to a person. And what I had found in the ticket process was the system was allowing people who didn't have disabilities just to buy tickets. And I validated it with my own eyeballs at every game I went to, including the Columbia uh, Jamaica match where there were more able-bodied people sitting in the disabled areas than there were people with wheelchairs. So, uh, and just to cap it off, uh, as I drove into one of the games I did get to, in fact, both games, the uh, the Sunday uh, match of um, uh, USA-Sweden and the Columbia-Jamaica match, every single disabled parking spot, and I'm counting about 30 spots within a, a one-kilometre radius of Amy Park, was was being used by somebody who clearly didn't have any wheelchair uh, requirement. Now, some of those people would have had disabilities. So I had to park in Richmond and walk two kilometres on both occasions just to get to the ground. So I'm getting that off my chest. One is a gripe with FIFA for the system that they'd set up for disabled uh, accessible tickets. And the other was with those clowns out there who borrow uh, disabled parking passes from people and just park thinking they've got away. If you think I'm talking to you and you've done it, yes, I am, you should be a ashamed of yourself. Well said, Rob. I know the journey you've been on and it's been, um, uh, you've actually uh, uh, pulled your punches in describing that uh, very well because it's been disgraceful the way FIFA has uh, dealt with the disabled uh, ticket uh, option and they've sold it. And like you, Rob, because uh, we've been doing this a while and you're my good friend, the games that I've been going to, I've, mm. I've verified with my eyeballs the amount mm. of able-bodied people sitting in disabled seats. FIFA, lift your game. I know the FIFA ticket system backwards, been dealing with it a long time. Uh, it is, by global standards, pretty average. You've just highlighted it in the context of um, a very worthy person, your son Alexander, to go to the football, and he's not been able to do because uh, tickets designed for people like him have ended up with people who shouldn't have them. Yeah, and, and, and look, uh, I do want to give a shout out, though, to the people, uh, some of the uh, the staff members at the venue. This is just Amy Park as an example. Though when we get in there for the two games we went to, the people could not have been better. If you want to see the best of people in this life, you take my little guy somewhere and everyone's falling over themselves to help. So I'm, I'm complaining about the system, not about the people and the venue itself when you actually arrive there so so i wanted to to, uh, to make that clear uh, 
I do want to give a shout out to my good mate, John Blankevoort, who lives in Salt Lake City in Utah. He messaged me before the show, boys, when's it dropping? I want to hear what's happening with the US National Women's Side. We know we have listeners all around the world, but to my good mate, John, uh, I've known him since I was a kid. We're both in our late 50s right now. We lost touch for probably two decades until he found me. And now he's um, he's one of our listeners from Salt Lake City. Very disappointed with the uh, departure of the US National Women's side, but he's on the Matildas bandwagon. That bit of Aussie in my old mate John has, uh, has come out in him. So uh, if there's an Aussie flag flying over uh, uh, Salt Lake City, um, you all know where it comes from. Derek, is there anything else you wanted to uh, throw into the mixer uh, before we wrap this up? There were some other great games which we just haven't had the ch- chance to talk to uh, in the episode. Is there anything that, that's um, that's uh, on the agenda that you want to touch on before we wrap up? Oh, look, yeah, I just wanted to marvel at the tournament surprise packages. I know we've we've covered them in other discussions, but um, I went to Canada, Nigeria in my first game. It was my first game with my with my daughter. Um, I, I I went in thinking Nigeria really were there to make up the numbers. Were thinking that Canada, looking at rankings alone. Um, would would lose that game comfortably, and it was it was quite the opposite. And you and I were texting during that game, going, "Geez, these guys, these girls, sorry, are actually fantastic. They're very good technical players, got a good game plan, um, and they fully deserve to get out of that group." Uh, I don't think they lost a game in the tournament. They're the only team that's beaten um, the Matildas. Um, they've given nightmares to every big team that they've played, including England, who squeaked through by. We were talking about the barest of margins earlier, but England were absolutely on the ropes. And all, I think the whole tournament, who, who people who are left will be um, breathing a sigh of relief that, that, that Nigeria and Nigeria are gone. I don't think anyone would have wanted to play them uh, after those performances. So they've obviously got to have a look at the have a look at the ranking systems there. There's obviously something not quite right. I think Nigeria are down in 44 you know, 50th or something like that. So clearly there was something wrong there. And I don't think um, an African team can ever be underestimated ever again in, in women's football because from the goalkeeper all the way through to the, the strikers, they, they were superb. Um, so, yeah, fair play to Nigeria. No, well said. And, and on that point, Edge, you've been talking about African football for a long time. And uh, um the uh, the man with your um, most favourite name in, uh, in in football, Randy Waldron, the uh, the Nigerian manager, he came out and made that point that you just made. Um, so uh, the, the FIFA ranking system doesn't seem to be quite accurate because uh, you know it probably played into the hands of Nigeria to a certain extent. That uh, not that any manager or any coach says they're going to underestimate anybody, but clearly some of them did underestimate Nigeria. Uh, Randy wasn't underestimating anybody, was he, Edge? He wasn't. He said that he wants to go on and coach Nigeria to the Olympic Games and achieve um, the potential of this team. He says if they're properly um, resourced, that they can do great things. Um, and good luck to the Nigerian players who um, have FIFA Pro in their corner, who've released a statement overnight saying that they're still owed bonuses from way back to uh, 2021. So good luck to the Nigerian players in getting that out of the federation. That's a bit of a, a sticky and ordinary sort of news item to break after they've been so wonderful and uh, played with such uh, passion, commitment and love for each other. So well done to Nigeria. They definitely are uh, superstars and uh, and have been an incredible part of this tournament. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot of other uh, stories that we could have touched on. Um, uh, Colombia is one of them. Jeez, uh, well, you know, the, you know, kicking the expatriate community of Colombians. Oh, amazing! Edge. You've talked so much about some South American football, but just to be there, um, that vibrance. It's it's like the stadium's rocking, and and to think that they probably only represented you know forty fifty percent, and that the rest were were locals uh, who were going to watch a game and a you know a scattering of uh, of Jamaican fans. Uh, it was an incredible atmosphere that that, that the Colombians brought to the game, and uh, um, and it uh, it masks the uh, the rather ruthless nature, which uh, well. You know, Colombia does have a reputation um, that uh, that we did see in that friendly that got called off against the Republic of Ireland. So um, you know, they uh, um, they are uh, the, the what the velvet assassin like, um, and uh, the you know what's going on on the pitch gets often masked by what uh, is happening. Off it. All right, we better wrap it up, boys. Um, we're going to be back on Monday night. Hopefully, we'll be celebrating um, an Australian win against France and previewing a semi-final against either England or Colombia. Um, either way, we'll be back and we'll be talking about it. But um, long may the uh, the excitement continue. Good luck to, to Sam Kerr, to Steph Catley, all of the team, Tony Gustafsson, everybody involved. Uh, we'll be watching as will millions and millions of other Australians and, uh, and other football fans around the world. Edge, uh, prediction? Uh, Australia 3, France 2. Okay, and uh, and Derek, um, you give us one and uh, and your thoughts. Let us know if you think um, England are going to get through and we're going to see that semi-final. I think we are going to see that semi-final. I think England have been a bit scratchy in the tournament, but they seem to have found solutions to their problems. And, you know, yes, Kira Walsh is now back in the team. They'll now lose James. Um, that might mean Toon comes back into the team. So... I'm confident England will will get the job done uh, against Colombia, albeit Colombia, you know, should not be underestimated. And mm. I think Matildas will have just about enough over France. They've obviously they've won the, the the previous encounter. They've got the home fans behind them. They're battle hardened. They've got their best player back. Uh, I can only see a Matildas victory. So yeah, I think it's going to be an Ashes semi final. Okay, and we've obviously got the other two quarterfinals, Spain v Netherlands and Japan Sweden, uh, on Friday. So uh, who knows? It could end up being a, an all Asian uh, final if uh, if Australia end up playing t- Japan. And gosh, they, they are a terrifying opponent to imagine right now the way that they're playing. All right, boys, well done. We'll see each other on Monday night. Adam Maloney, who's uh, in the chair, panel operating. Thank you for producing and putting the show together uh, it is quite a piece of work uh, when you're listening there's a, a lot of uh, it's like a duck on a pond isn't it um, Adam as he nods to me and smiles so thank you my friend uh, please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcast tweet us at box to box NTS and follow us on Twitter make sure you like us on Facebook and join us on Monday evening next week or Tuesday morning when you wake up when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game <laughs>